Uh, I'm going to get right into the message today because I know you're busy people and you got things to do today. Uh, but hey, we, uh, we've been in a message series here at Life Chapel for the last few weeks called Just Believe. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the impact that faith had in the Christmas story and what happens when ordinary people, just like you and me, choose to put their faith and trust in God and believe. And we kicked the series off a, a couple of weeks ago looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 and the uh, miraculous birth of their son, John the Baptist. And then last week, we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we looked at how the angel came from heaven, and he delivered the news to her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And in that message, I challenged us to all choose to believe what God says about us and what he says to us and believe what he has for us. And today, as we continue our series today on this Christmas Eve, I want us to look together at the Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2, and I just want to highlight a few things in that story that I think we can all choose to believe in today. Before we get into it, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we are so thankful for your presence that's in this room right now. And Lord, we're thankful for your presence that came to the earth on Christmas Day. Lord, you are Emmanuel, God with us. You are here now. You're here with us every moment of our lives. God, there's never a moment we live when you are far from us and you are not near. Lord, I pray now that you would speak to us through your word. I pray, Father, for an anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest on your word today. I pray, God, it would be your word and not mine. And I pray, Lord, that it would dig deep into our hearts and it would produce a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake. And we praise you and give you glory for what you're going to do and what you're going to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's look at the story together in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. That's what the Bible says. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There are three things I see in this story that I think you and I can choose to believe God for. And here's the first one. You can choose to believe that God's plans for you are bigger. God's plans for you are bigger. Listen, they're bigger than life circumstances, and they're bigger than the situations that you and I may find ourselves in at any given time in this journey called life. The story of the birth of Jesus is set up by a set of circumstances that are certainly less than ideal. First of all, the Bible tells us that there was a census being taken of the entire Roman world, which included Israel at that time. And the, the reality is this census could not have come at a worse time for Joseph and Mary because it forced them to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem right around the time the baby was due. And this was a major trip for them. You have to understand, people back then did not travel like we do today. When they traveled, they 
uh, they had to do it by walking or perhaps riding a donkey. So either way, this trip was not going to be comfortable or easy, especially for a pregnant woman. And I did some research on this because I wanted to know just how long it would have taken Joseph and Mary to make this trip. And I found that Bethlehem is located about 90 miles um, south of Nazareth. And most Bible scholars believe that that distance at that time in history, it would have taken them four days or more to go from Nazareth, which is located again in the northern part of Israel, all the way down to Bethlehem in the southern part. So I want you to think about what that would have been like for them. This is not an overnight, quick overnight trip. This is four days of walking or riding on a very uncomfortable animal. Come on, ladies. Can you imagine having to do that at the very end of your third trimester when it feels like you're about to pop and everything hurts and your ankles are swollen? By the way, I'm just guessing about all that. I've obviously never experienced that, but... I mean, when I read the Christmas story, I, I, I read that and I immediately feel bad for Mary, but I also really feel bad for Joseph because, you know, they had to stop often on the trip. It probably added a couple of days with all the cravings and I got to stop at Taco Bell. There's one right here, you know, and there's McDonald's and I just got to have some chicken nuggets and, you know, all the crazy and all the bathroom stops. It probably added quite a bit of time to the trip. And then on top of that, they finally make it to Bethlehem. You can imagine, they see the town, they're excited, they get there, and after four days of travel, they realize that there is no room left in the hotel because Joseph forgot to make a reservation. I, I, I would imagine, you know, they get there, they find out there's no room for them. I would imagine Mary is livid, and I think she's probably thinking about divorce before they've even gotten married at this point. She's like, who are you? And why are you doing this to me? So they've, they've got to spend the night in a stable instead of a bedroom. And of course, this is the night that Mary goes into labor. By the way, I'm told that after four days of riding on a donkey, it will do it. It, it will put you into labor if you're pregnant. Just a word to the wise there. All kidding aside, though, the truth is these circumstances they found themselves in here in the Christmas story were less than ideal. In fact, these circumstances were difficult, and you could even describe them as painful circumstances. And that's often how our lives look, isn't it? You know, something comes up in your life, and you have no choice but to deal with it and take care of it right away, and the truth is, it has come at the worst possible time. And then while you're dealing with that, something else happens and further complicates your life. We've been having things break in our house lately. I don't know what's going on, but it, it was the microwave, and then it was the garage door. It only opens about six inches, and then it just stops. And then last night, our washing machine just quit mid-cycle. And, and Carmen's like, I need you to fix it. And I was like, who do you think I am? I'm a pastor. I barely know how to use a socket wrench. You know what I'm saying? So I, I pull the back off the washing machine, and I think, well, this will work. I pull it, and all of a sudden, water starts going everywhere. I was like, Carmen, get up here. And so, yeah, we got a mess. Worst possible time, right? It's the day before Christmas Eve. <laughs> this is going on. But that's how life feels. It's like you're already dealing with complicated things, and then all of a sudden you, get a, you find yourself in another situation that just further complicates your life. And I think we've all felt like we are the victims of circumstances that are beyond our control at one point or another. But this is what I want you to know today. Your circumstances, while they may feel like they are controlling the direction of your life, listen, they do not dictate or supersede God's plans for you. Your circumstances 
circumstances, even the ones you wish you didn't have to deal with, they are playing into God's plans for you, not the other way around. See, they thought it was because of the census that they had to travel to Bethlehem. You know, it's the government making our lives difficult. And yes, that is true to an extent. I want to be clear about that. But there was also an even greater plan at play as well. And it was the plan of God. Hallelujah. God always knew it's got to be Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place where my son is going to be born on the earth. In fact, when the Magi that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 2 were following the star to find Jesus, that, that star originally brought them to the city of Jerusalem, which is very, very close to Bethlehem. And when they got to Jerusalem, they met with the king who's sitting on the throne there, a guy by the name of King Herod. And they came to him and they asked him the question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We've tracked his star from the east and it's landed us here, but now we don't know where to go from here. When was he born? Where is he now? We want to know. So they're asking all these questions and look how King Herod responds to them in Matthew chapter 2 verse 3. The Bible says when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed because they're talking about another king other than him that's been born in Israel. So it says he's disturbed. All Jerusalem's disturbed with him. And so he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. These are Bible scholars. That's who he called together. And he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Look what they said. They said, in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, how did they know that? It's because God had already revealed it to a prophet who had written it down. The name of the prophet is Micah. He wrote it down in Micah chapter 5, and this is what he said. He said, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, God had already determined how this was going to go. He had already revealed his plan to the prophets of the Old Testament years before any of this is happening on the earth. It had to be Bethlehem where Jesus was born because God had already determined that Bethlehem was going to be the birthplace for the Messiah. Joseph and Mary didn't know that. If they did, they could have already gone down there, checked into the hospital, made sure they had a room ready to go for the night. But they thought it was a census that forced them to make the trip. They thought it was wrong forcing them to do something they didn't want to do. But in reality, it was the providence of God. He was simply performing his word like he said he would. The circumstances of Mary and Joseph's life were playing into a bigger plan. It's the plan of God. The circumstances did not force the hand of God to move before he was prepared and ready. The hand of God superseded their circumstances. And listen, this is what I want you to know today. I want you to know that it's the same thing for you and me. We get caught up in looking at all the circumstances of our life. We get caught up worrying about this and worrying about that and thinking about everything in life that we're having to deal with, especially when it all starts to pile up. And, 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 and what's not happening for us when we're thinking about that is we're not thinking about the fact that there's a bigger plan that's, in, that's going on. You know, we get frustrated by feelings of unfulfillment. We get aggravated at the absence of opportunities that we see other people getting. We get stuck looking at our circumstances, and watch this. We begin to embrace a victim mentality, and we start to say things like, well, the world is just against me. Have you ever been there? You know, we, we, and when we say those things, we forget that God has a bigger plan than what our circumstances are. And God wants you to know today that your circumstances, they do not control the direction of your life. He does, and you can trust the direction your life is going when God God is leading the way of your life. I love what it says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Listen, that is a promise for your life today. It's a promise that you can believe in. No matter what you're going through, you can put your hope and your trust in God. And the scripture says those who hope in him will never be put to shame. When you let him lead your life, you will not be led astray. When he's leading the way, listen, you will never end up at the wrong place at the wrong time. The circumstances of life may feel like they're complicating things for you right now, pushing you in a direction you don't really want to go. But please know that God's plans for you are bigger than your circumstances. And and if you're supposed to be there, God will get you there. And by the way, you will arrive right on time, every time. Amen? Amen? So Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem to take part in this census. And of course, you know, they have the baby while they're there in a stable instead of a crib. And let's look at verse 8 as the story continues going. Luke 2 and 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those Uh, to those on whom his favor rests. Here's the second thing I see in the story that you and I can choose to believe in today. You can choose to believe that God's view of you is higher. God's plans for you are bigger, and God's view of you is higher. His view of you is higher than what others may think of you. His view of you is higher than what you may even be thinking about yourself today. Think about this with me. The Son of God is finally born on the earth. People had been looking forward to this day for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here it is, this incredible miracle is finally happening. And God chooses to reveal this first before anybody else to shepherds. Of all people, he chooses to reveal it to shepherds. People that, that were uneducated, unimpressive, and surrounded by a field of dirty animals. God didn't reveal it to a group of religious leaders first. He didn't reveal it to a group of politicians and government officials. It wasn't to some king with a big, powerful kingdom. God announced it first to the shepherds. And I just wonder, why would he do that? Have you ever thought about that? Why did the shepherds get the announcement first? Why did did God choose them? I think there are actually a lot of really good, even prophetic reasons why God chose to do it this way. For example, I think it's foreshadowing that he would make the announcement to shepherds first because Jesus would identify himself in the Gospels as the good shepherd. Even in the prophetic announcement we just read about in Matthew, where Bethlehem is named as his birthplace, it also mentions that he was destined to shepherd his people, Israel. Nothing God does is by accident. Everything is intentional. Some of you need to remember that as you watch the news and you look around at what's happening in life right now. God is in control and nothing happens by accident. God is very intentional with everything he's doing. I also think that God revealed it to shepherds because Jesus was the Lamb of God. Listen, slain from the foundations of the earth. So it would make sense to tell a group of shepherds first about the birth of a lamb. I believe all of that is part of the reason, but more than anything, 
I believe that God chose to reveal it first to shepherds because he wants you and I to know today that he thinks more highly of you than the label that society may have put on you or what you may see when you look at yourself in the mirror. He chose shepherds because he wanted to make it clear this Savior is born for all the people, not just some of the people. See, you have to understand, shepherds at that time, they were viewed as just about the lowest class of citizen that you could possibly be. Some historians have said that while shepherding in Abraham's day, in David's day, was a very noble task and occupation. But in Jesus' day, shepherds were looked down upon in society. They were looked so down upon that they could not hold public office. They couldn't even serve as a witness in a court case. They did not They did not believe the report of a shepherd. They were viewed as unlearned, unimpressive, and incapable of doing anything else with their lives so that they had no choice but to become a shepherd. Their work was difficult and it was thankless. They had to brave the uh, extreme elements of outdoor living in a desert-like climate. Sometimes they had to fight off predators. Sometimes they had to go and rescue lost sheep that got themselves into trouble by wandering off alone. It was a job title that nobody wanted. Nobody in Jesus' day grew up saying, I want to grow up to be a shepherd. Nobody, nobody wanted to do that job. And yet God came to them on that first Christmas night, and here's why he did it. He did it because he wanted them to know emphatically, no matter what others may think of you, no matter what labels have been put on you, no matter what you may think of yourself, this is how I view you. I think so highly of you that I sent my own son to the earth to save you. I think so much of you that I'm going to invite you to come and join in the celebration of his birth. You get to see the Messiah before anybody else. And you need to know today that God thinks the world of you. Listen to me. You are the apple of his eye. You are his prized possession. You matter to God. It says in Psalms chapter 139 verse 14, that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that not only are his plans for you good, it says that the way he made you is good and his view of you is good. He doesn't see you as a bad apple or a screw-up or a sinner that's beyond the reach of his love. Let me tell you how God sees you today. He sees you as a son or a daughter. And when you come to believe that, listen to me, it changes everything. It changes the future of your life because you see everything more clearly because you understand your identity in the eyes of God. your father. Last week in the message, we looked at the words that the angel spoke to Mary when he came down to her and told her she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And the angel told Mary how God views her when the angel told her, you are blessed and highly favored. Well, Mary certainly was blessed and highly favored because she was being used by God to do an amazing thing. She was about to give birth to the Son of God. But listen, she, Mary is not the only one that God views that way because when the angel came to the shepherds to deliver the good news to them and all of a sudden a great multitude shows up in the sky singing and praising God, look what they declared in verse 14. They said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Who are the angels talking to there? They're talking to the shepherds, the despised, the forgotten, the abandoned ones out in a field. They are the ones on whom his favor rests. That's how God views them. Listen, God loves to to find the overlooked, passed up, thrown out ones of society to place his favor on. 
He loves to find the despised, the rejected, and the lowly and elevate them in the eyes of the world with his goodness and his grace. In Genesis, Joseph was a man that was despised and rejected by his own family. His own brothers didn't want him. They sold him into slavery and they faked his death. God responded by placing his favor and his blessing on Joseph's life. And God promoted him from the place of slavery all the way to the seat of the vice presidency in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. And then God used him, watch this, to save the very family that tried to destroy his life so many years before. Why did he do that? Because God's view of him was higher than how his own family viewed him. Moses had a stuttering problem. He could barely speak without fumbling all over himself. And on top of that, he was a murderer. He had killed a man and fled the scene of the crime. By all accounts, he should have been a man disqualified from service in the kingdom of God. But in spite of all of that, God called him and put his favor on him, and he took that stuttering man and put him right in the face of the most powerful king, an evil man by the name of Pharaoh, put him right in front of him to boldly declare the word of the Lord. And then God raised him up to lead an entire nation of people into God's promises over them and for their family. Why did he do that? Because God's view of him was higher than he even viewed himself. Gideon was a man by his own account who was the least of the least and the weakest of the weak. He was literally hiding from his enemies in a wine press when God came to him. He chose to put his favor on Gideon's life. He called him a mighty warrior instead of weak and the least. And then God anointed him to topple idols and rout foreign invaders from the land because God's view of him was higher than how he viewed himself. David was not even invited to the table of opportunity. Have you ever been there? You see people getting invited to opportunity and you're thinking, what? is wrong with me? Why didn't I get that opportunity? He himself was a shepherd in Bethlehem of all places. He was left to tend his sheep while his brothers were paraded before the prophet Samuel in an effort to find the next king of Israel. But God all the while, listen to me, he knew what he had out there in that field and that shepherd boy named David. God's view of him was so much higher than even his own father's opinion of him. And God called David and he anointed him. And then that young, hidden, forgotten shepherd boy went out in the power of the Spirit of God, hallelujah, and he toppled a giant named Goliath, and he went on to become the greatest king Israel had ever known. How does that happen? It's because God's view of you is higher than what you think of yourself, and it's higher than what everybody around you may think of you. That is how God views you. We can go all through the Bible. I could keep going, but it's Christmas Eve, and I know we got to go. But we see this time and time again. The people who are most unlikely to receive God's favor are the very ones that he puts his finger on, he puts his hand on, and he calls them blessed and highly favored of the Lord. This is very much by design. Yeah, give him praise. Amen. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Hallelujah. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You may be here today, church, and you feel like the shepherds must have felt In the eyes of the world, you feel like you're the lowest of the low according to the world's standards. You're not the strongest. You're not the smartest. You're not the prettiest. You're not the most talented. Maybe today you feel forgotten, abandoned, left behind by others, or worse, left for dead. 
God wants you to know today that his view of you is higher than what others think of you. His view of you is higher than what you yourself have come to believe about yourself. If you will invite him to come into your life and trust him with all of your heart, listen to me, he will use you to do great things in your life. He will give you opportunities that will cause other people to stand in awe at the goodness and the blessing of the Lord on your life. Our God is good and his thoughts towards you are not evil. They are good. Amen? You can choose to believe that today. God's view of you is higher. Let me give you a third thing you can choose to believe based on what I see in the Christmas story. You can believe today that God's joys for you are greater. God's joys for you are greater. They're greater than your greatest fears. I want you to look at the text again in Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Look at it. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Terrified is the word that the NIV uses there, but when you look at this in the Greek, in the original language, it says that they were, they, they feared with a great fear. In other words, what it means is that fear gripped their hearts, and it was overwhelming for them. They could barely stand it. And yet, in very short order, if you read on, their great fear suddenly turned into great joy. How did that happen? How did it happen so fast? Why didn't the shepherds in their fear, in their terrified state, just simply turn and run away? Well, quickly, I see three things in the story that helped the shepherds overcome their fear in that moment and have it turned into great joy. Number one, it was because of the message. It was because of the message that they received. The angel came from heaven with a message to the shepherds. And watch this. His first words to them in that message were, fear not. Do not be afraid. They were overwhelmed in that moment, but his word to them was fear not. You need to know today that God has a message for whatever you may be feeling in this moment. If you feel hopeless, listen to me. God's message for you is a message of hope. If you feel unloved, he's got a message for you of his everlasting love. If you feel like you're living in chaos and confusion all the time, his message for you is peace. And if you feel overwhelmed by fear today like the shepherds did, God's message for you is fear not. By the way, this is a message that God delivers to his people often. This is the most repeated phrase in the entire Bible. It appears 365 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God repeated often to his people, do not be afraid. Why is that? Why is this the message that God delivers to his people time and time again? Well, it's because fear is one of those things that will constantly sabotage the direction of your life if you let it. You have to deal with fear or else fear will deal with you. I think another reason that God delivers this message to us so often is because fear is often our initial response when it comes to God. We've already seen that in the series so far. An angel showed up to Zechariah. How did he respond? He was terrified. An angel shows up to Mary in her house. How did she respond? She was afraid. And again, here with the shepherds, it's the same thing. And listen, I get it. The angels are supernatural beings, and apparently they're really good at sneaking up on people. So there's that. And when an angel suddenly shows up, wherever you are, King Supers, the, the temple, the, your house, whatever, it is totally understandable and I think pretty normal for you to initially be afraid. But listen to me. God does not want you to live your life afraid of him. 
He wants you to know him and live in such close relationship to him that when he comes to you, his visitation is not met with fear. It is met with joy. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they did not respond to God in fear until after they had fallen into sin and were affected by their own shame. They were never afraid of God until after they believed the lie from the enemy that caused them to be afraid of God. And that tells me that God did not create us to live in fear towards him. He created us to know him, to be known by him, to know his voice and respond when he comes to us in joy. The message from the, uh, from the angel moved the shepherds from great fear to great joy because the message spoke directly to what they were feeling in that immediate moment. Fear not, but that's not all. It was also because the message from the angel was a message of good news. And in the Greek, that word that the writer uses for good news is the word euangelion. Euangelion. It's one of the first Greek words that I learned and committed to memory when I was in school because I had to. Because that word translated good news is also translated as the gospel. And I want to tell you today that the greatest message the world has ever heard is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news for the whole world, no matter who you are and no matter where you've been and no matter what you're going through. And the very beginning of the gospel of Christ was being written on that first Christmas night. It was about a baby who was born in a manger who had come to save the world. And that leads me to the second thing that I think caused their great fear to turn into great joy. It was a revelation of the Messiah. It was the message and it was the Messiah. Contained in the message from the angel to the shepherds was the announcement that this was no ordinary child that was being born in Bethlehem. This baby born on this day was the Messiah. It was Christ the Lord. And the glory of that revelation alone had the power to eliminate the fear from their eyes and ignite a great joy within their hearts. If you look at this, the angel actually includes three different titles that apply to Jesus in his message to the shepherds. They're all contained in verse 11. The angel tells him, he is Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. Savior in the Greek is the word soter. It literally means one who is a deliverer. He is a deliverer. God included that in his announcement about the Messiah because he wants you to know today that the Savior that he delivered from heaven to earth has the power in his hand to deliver you from the power of sin and death as well as whatever worries or fears you may be uh, carrying and may be dominating your life. In Psalms chapter 34, verse 4, this is what the Bible says. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. In Psalms chapter 56, verse 3, the Bible says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. We all get afraid from time to time. What do you do with that fear? According to the Bible, you put it in the hands of the Lord because he is a deliverer. He goes on in verse 4, and he says, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul is thanking the the Lord for being the deliverer that he is in his life. He says, God has delivered us from such a deadly peril. That's past tense. He's talking about how God has delivered them in the past, but he doesn't stop there. He adds present and future tense as well. And he says, and he will deliver us again. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us well into the future. Jesus is a Messiah that you can put your trust in because he is a savior who always makes good on his promises. It's literally written into his title. He is savior, the one who delivers his people. But according to the angel in verse 11, the Messiah who's been born is also called the Christ. Listen, Christ is not his last name. 
It's his title. And in the Greek, it means anointed one. And I, look, I simply don't have the time today to break this down like I would like to. There's some really good preaching there. It's probably another message for another time. But you need to know that when Jesus came from heaven to the earth, he came with the anointing of the power of God Almighty on his life. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, he was preaching to others about who Jesus was. And he said, you know how God anointed, there's that word, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus was called the Christ because he was anointed by God and his anointing was not just for him to wear like a badge of honor, but then not do anything with it. The anointing was on him so that he could minister power to all those who came to him. His anointing caused him to do good to all. It caused him to heal the sick. It caused him to save the lost. It caused him to set the oppressed free. And the shepherd's great fear was turned into great joy because they knew that the anointing on Jesus's life was given for them. He was their Christ. And that anointing, listen to me, that was on Jesus's life, it's for you and me as well. He is our Christ. That means that the anointing on him has the power to break every stronghold in our lives. It has the power to break the stronghold of fear and instead release overwhelming joy. It has the power to cleanse us from all of our sin and set us free. It has the power to heal all of our diseases, the Bible said. It's by his stripes we have been healed. Amen. When you come to the anointed one, you get to experience the power of his anointing in your life as well. The angel tells us who our Messiah is in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. He's a Savior who delivers. He's a Christ who is anointed in the power of God. And thirdly, this Messiah born in Bethlehem is also called Lord. He's called Lord. The Greek word there for Lord is the word kurios. It means one who has all authority. Not some authority. He has all authority. It's translated as master. He's master over everything. He's master over everything. That includes anything that tries to master you and me. If you've been living under the power of fear, listen to me. Fear does not have the power to master you when he is the Lord of your life because he's the master over fear. He's the master of whatever you and I may be dealing with. This was not just another baby. It wasn't just another human being. It was, it was God wrapped in flesh. It was the Messiah. And the shepherds had their great fear turned into great joy because the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, our Lord was born. We said we can choose to believe that God's joys for us are greater than our greatest fears. He turned the shepherd's great fear into great joy. How did he do? How did that happen? It was the message, the good news. It was the revelation of who the Messiah is. And thirdly, it was the manger. It was the manger. Their great fear was turned to great joy because of the message, the Messiah, and the manger. The angel told them in verse 12, look at it. He said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, a manger is just, it's a word you probably never hear except at Christmas time, right? A manger is just a feeding trough for animals. That's all it is. But the angel said the fact that this baby is going to be lying in a manger, that turns a simple manger into a sign. And what did this sign mean? Well, I believe it signaled to them that this Savior is one of us. He's just like us. He's one that understands what we go through and where we've been, and he's one that we can relate to. And for them, the sign of the manger 
it eliminated any fears they may have about approaching him. Because the manger, listen to me, it meant they didn't have to clean themselves up before they went to go see him. He's in a manger. It meant that they didn't have to change clothes in order to appear more acceptable for this king. They didn't have to put on a tuxedo shirt. They, they could just go as they were. They didn't have to be afraid of, of not fitting in to the scene or not being approved of. This Savior was not born in a, in a palace somewhere far off. This Savior was born in a stable right in their own neighborhood. And they were invited to come and see him just as they are. God sent the angels to go and get shepherds because he wanted the whole world to know, listen, when it comes to the Savior, when it comes to my son, I want you to come to him just as you are. Just as you are. We talk ourselves out of coming to Jesus because we're afraid we won't be accepted. We're afraid we're not good enough. We think the weight of our past is too heavy. The stain of our shame is too dirty. The stench of our sin is too repugnant. We say, I can't come to Jesus like this. I'll, I'll come, but I've got to get things right first. I've got to fix myself. I've got to deal with the person that I've let myself become. And then I can come and worship him. But God came to the shepherds and invited them to come first because he wanted to make it abundantly clear for everybody for all time that this Savior is for everyone. He is a come just as you are type of Savior. He came to save, listen, because we can't save ourselves. He came to take on our sin and shame because we don't have the ability or the power to deal with it on our own. He wants you to come just as you are so that he can do for you what only he can do. The shepherd's great fear was turned to great joy when they realized he's laying in a manger and we can go and see him just like we are. Listen to me today. You do not have to be afraid to come to Jesus. In fact, he's inviting you to come. And here's the thing. He's inviting you to come just as you are. He's saying, don't worry about what you've been wearing and where you've been. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the things you've done. Don't worry about the things you've been ashamed of and it's been driving your life. Don't worry about that. Don't even worry about the sin that you've been carrying. Just come as you are because I want you to see me for who I truly am. And here's the thing. When you come to him as you truly are, that means no masks, no pretending. When you come to him as you truly are, you get to see him as he truly is. And that takes all the fear away. When you realize that the way you've been thinking about God is completely wrong, that he's not an angry old man up there in heaven that you cannot know and you cannot relate to. He's not an angry old man that's just been watching you to see when you mess up so he can get you and he can zap you. No, no, he is a loving father who literally gave you and me the greatest gift the world has ever known. He gave us the gift of his son so you and I can come to him without fear. That's why the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says there is no fear in love because perfect love has cast out fear. If there's ever been a picture of God's perfect love for you and me, listen, it's seen in a baby in a manger named Jesus who is so humble so meek and so mild, yet so holy. It turns out the manger was not just a sign for the shepherds. It's a sign for every single one of us to come just as we are. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's message for us today. This Savior was given in love 
so that whosoever will can come just as they are and simply believe, believe on him. I want to show you one more scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. This is all that God requires. It's just to come to him as you are and in faith believe in who he is. And the Bible says that when you can believe that, he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. What does he reward you with? He rewards you with everlasting life. He rewards you with peace like you've never known. He rewards you with joy that just bubbles out of your soul. He rewards you with hope instead of a hopeless life. That's the reward that God brings when you come to him just as you are and you just let yourself believe. That's all it requires is just to believe. I want the band to come up and begin to play softly. We're getting ready to close, but I want you to see the rest of the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 as they come. This is what the Bible says. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I want you to stand with me all across the room today. By the way, God, he invites us to come and see him just as we are. Because he knows that when we see him as he truly is and we behold his love for us, we are changed and we're never the same again. So you can't change yourself before you come to him. That's why you come just as you are. But when you see him as he truly is, it changes you. You're not the same. And we see it here in the story. The shepherds, they saw him and they could not hold it in. They could not hold their joy into themselves. They went and told everybody. And everybody was amazed all through the town. And then it says that they returned glorifying and praising God because of everything they had heard and seen at the manger. The change you need to experience in your life today can only come after you experience Jesus. He's the answer you've been looking for. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, nobody looking around, I just want you to take an honest assessment right now of your heart. And I want you to think about where you are and what's going on in your life and what you've been feeling and what you've been experiencing. Maybe what you've been carrying Take an inventory, an honest inventory of your thoughts. What have you been thinking? Some of you have been thinking about ending your life. And the Lord wants you to know today that he has loved you with an everlasting love. And his compassions for you are great. His mercies for you are great. And what you need to do today is come to Jesus. You don't need to run away. You need to come to him. And he's going to deal with those thoughts that you've been struggling with. Thank you, Lord. 
Some of you have been so weighed down by the cares of life. You go to sleep every night in worry. You wake up every morning in dread. God's saying, I want to deal with that. I want to fix that. How does it get fixed? You come to Jesus in a manger. (laughs) You come and lay down the things you've been carrying and take the thing that he wants you to have, which is joy, which is hope, which is peace, which is love. Some of you are so burdened by your past because you've seen things that you regret seeing. You've been involved in things that you regret. And when you think about your past, you're overwhelmed with a sense of shame. Listen, you can live the rest of your life with that shame or you can come to the manger and Jesus will take care of that. He will heal you. He will minister to your heart. Hallelujah. He will set you free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, move among your people today. I give you praise, God. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room right now. Hallelujah. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've just been thinking about the direction of your life and where you are right now, if you're here today and you say, I know the next step that I need to make is a step towards Jesus. It's a step towards the manger. If that's you today, right where you are, you don't have to get up, you don't have to come forward or anything like that. Right where you are, I just want you to lift up your hand. I I need Jesus and I know I do. Will you lift your hand right now? I just want to pray over you. You're saying, I need Jesus. I want to come to him. I'm tired of carrying the things I've been carrying. I'm tired of dealing with the things I've been dealing with. I'm tired of fear dominating my life. I'm tired of shame. If that's you today, raise your hand right where you are. God is going to save you. The Bible says all it takes is for you to believe. That's all it takes. Believe that he is who he said he was. And confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Hallelujah. There's hands up all around this room right now. This is what I want you to do. In fact, I want to ask everybody in this room to repeat this after me. It's just a simple prayer. There's no magic prayer to say. Like I said, it's just believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. If you do that, you'll be saved. But I'm just going to lead you in a prayer that will make that easier for you. Everybody repeat this after me. Say, dear God, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of your grace. I recognize I'm lost. I've been dealing with fear. I've been carrying shame. I've been lost. And I want to be found today. By faith, I'm taking a step to you. Just as I am, I'm coming to you. Heal me. (laughs) Set me free. Save me. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. You're good. You're good to us. As the band leads us in this song, I just want us to worship and let's thank God for what he's done in this place today. Come on, sing it.